0: Well, we're in Palm Sunday, which is the, the day Jesus rides triumphant into Jerusalem uh, as the, the king. And it's ushering us into this work week that's often called Passion Week. And it's the suffering of Jesus all throughout this week. And, and then his death is burial and then his glorious resurrection that we'll be celebrating a week from today. And so there's a lot of neat things that are going on. And Jesus is, is always working at... In a positive way, I want to say it's positive. In a positive way of messing with our lives, okay? He, in a positive way, he's dealing with our lives. And I want to tell you a story. Now, this, this story, you've probably heard it in the form of a joke, but you're going to hear, according to uh, Life Magazine. Does anybody still get Life Magazine? Oh, yeah, they quit publishing it, I think, many years ago. Life Magazine, S- Smithsonian Magazine. You're going to know where the source of this joke came from when you hear this story, according to Life and Smithsonian. It's a true story. There was a guy named Charlie Steinmetz, and in the early 1900s, he was like the guy when it came to electricity. And so he was so excellent at it that the Ford Motor Company hired him to actually create in their first in their first uh, automated assembly line production manufacturing facility in Dearborn, Michigan. They hired him to come in, create all the generators, create all the electricity, do everything, and made that place run. That makes a factory run. And so he finished his task and the motors were whirling and the assembly line was going and and cars were coming off the assembly line as productivity went up. The the profits went into the Ford's pocket and they were doing great. And everything ran smooth as silk for, for many, many months. Then all of a sudden, just bang, it stopped. Lights flickered and went out. The motors wound down. The assembly line quit moving. And that was a huge deal. And so... If you know anything about production, even if it's a small way, but especially in a big way, it is hugely costly for an assembly line to not be producing its product. And so all the Ford mechanics tried to fix everything and do everything they knew to do, and they couldn't figure it out. So finally Henry Ford called uh, Charlie Steinmetz and said, man, you've got to get in here. So Charlie got there quickly. He started looking at things. He fiddled with some wires. He clicked on some gauges. He, he tried this. He tried that. He... He tinkered around with some of the motors and after a couple hours of doing some work there, he went over to the master switch, he pushed the master switch on, and guess what? The lights came on, the motors started rolling, the assembly line started functioning, and all was well. Well, Henry Ford got a uh, bill from Steinmetz for $10,000, and uh, this is 1917-ish, 1918 money, and... uh, Henry Ford, trust me, had plenty of money, but he just thought, that's too much money for a couple hours of work. So he actually took the bill, put it in the envelope, sent it back and said, Charlie, don't you think this is too much money for tinkering around on a couple motors for a few hours? And so Charlie rewrote the bill. And the bill said this, for tinkering with the motors, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990 and he sent it back to Ford, and Henry Ford paid the bill. So, he knew where to tinker. And God's like that. He knows where to tinker. But he designed you, he designed me, just like Charlie had designed all the electrical components there in Ford. He knows where to look, he knows what to do. And everything about God is to get us producing properly. He doesn't want our lives to grind down to a halt or to stand still. But to be productive and, and to be a blessing to yourself and to others. And so on this Palm Sunday, as we think about the glorious story of Jesus riding in on that donkey, and by the way, that story has always fascinated me. Always fascinated me. I probably every Palm Sunday actually mention something about, you know, the donkey and the two disciples that get the assignment of going and getting the donkey. And this week, on this year, on this Palm Sunday, I want to focus on looking at that donkey. I want to tell the story of the donkey. Now, one thing about that story... Oh, hi. Oh. Yes. One thing about the story of the donkey that I want to deal with today is very important. And that's the wrong donkey. That's not the, that's not the one we're, we're looking for, the real story. So, uh, I want to talk, yeah, that's the right one. The Lord Needs a Donkey. Now, it's kind of a crazy label, even. The Lord Needs a Donkey. But it's a fascinating story as we look at it. You can find it in in Luke 19. You can find it in Mark 11. And we're going to focus on, on Luke 19. So let's look at that. Luke 19, 29 through 36. As he, Jesus, approached Bethphage and Bethany at a hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, This is the assignment I would not want. He says to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden, untie it, and bring it here. Now, I want you to realize these are real people with real feelings, real emotions, real anxieties, real fears, real concerns. I would be saying, okay, let me get this straight. So I'm just supposed to walk up to some house that has a donkey tied there. I don't know who they are. They don't know who I am. And I'm just supposed to untie it and bring it to you. And I picture Jesus saying, you're understanding the assignment correctly. Oh, and by the way, if they say, why are you untying that donkey? You're to say to them, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Now, Mark says that the phrase is, the Lord needs it, and he will bring it back soon. So they were sent ahead and found it just as they were told, and they were untying the colt. The owners asked them. Again, I can tell you, I know how I'm wired up. I'd be thinking let's get in and out of here as quietly as possible. Let's see if we can get this donkey going down the road before, you know, anybody catches us. Well, they don't succeed. So the owners say, why are you untying that donkey? And they reply, again, here's how I imagine it. The Lord needs it? Uh, (laughs) Like, is that going to work? And they say, the Lord needs it. And the people say, okay. So apparently that was the magical phrase that, that got the donkey. The Lord needs it. And so they were fine with it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road, or palm branches, if you read another, just like we had. that's the whole reason for Palm Sunday. They cut off palm branches, laid it in the road, threw their cloaks in the road, and Jesus came riding in. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel sorry for the two disciples. Every time I read that, I think, man, well, that's an awful assignment. Give me something more glorious than that. Because I'm thinking to myself, I'd be thinking, this is the perfect assignment, one, to get beat up. You know, or somebody comes out and says, you're going to take a by donkey, and beat you up. Or get arrested or whatever. But they just obey. They courageously obey. So, Jesus needed a donkey. You think, why did Jesus need a donkey? By the way, I just want to say this little side note, and I'll try not to get on the soapbox for too long. But I just heard it said you know, looking over Palm Sunday stuff. I, I heard a minister say the other day, Jesus needed a donkey and he had to borrow one because he didn't have any money to afford one. I thought, where are it's just so weird that we have this concept that Jesus was flat broke and had nothing. He had a treasure and at one point, Jesus is saying to his disciples, disciples say, the people are hungry. We need to uh, send them away so they can get food. And Jesus tells them, you feed them. Now, if you read the story... They say, okay, do you want us to go into town and buy them food? Because it will cost half a year's wages. There's nothing in the story about we can't afford that, we can't do that. Apparently, the treasury had some money. I don't think Jesus was poor and broke. I also don't think Jesus cared. I think he knew he had resources anytime he wanted them without a problem. So he ends up feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with a few loaves and a few fish. He wasn't limited by anything. He needed to pay the temple tax. He tells Peter, go cast the line, catch a fish, you'll get a coin out of it. Pay my tax and your taxes. So I don't think he was wigged out about money, but we always try to make him broke. And then people say, well, the Bible says that Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. But it's not about his bank account. It's about Jesus left the glories of heaven. I don't even know how many dimensions heaven operates in. But can you imagine leaving the dimensions of heaven? Can you imagine your God now clothed in human flesh and for the first time you experience weariness, hunger, thirst? For the first time you go, I think I need to bathe. You know, can you imagine? He he became poor for us so that we might become rich. And so that's just my little soapbox there. Again, I'm not trying to paint Jesus up as some super rich person because I don't think he cared but he was super rich because guess what anytime he needed something he had access to it he doesn't need to own a donkey he's just going to borrow it for a little bit jesus was brilliant we're going to celebrate the fact next week that he didn't need a tomb he was only going to borrow it for a few days he's a wise money manager <laughs> he said no need buy the tomb we'll I'm just going to we only going to have it for 3 days and so he actually is put in a borrowed tomb and risen from the dead So, Jesus needs a donkey because he's going to fulfill this prophetic verse in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, again, I wonder about stuff, and when you wonder about stuff, we've never been in such an incredible world to research stuff. you got to be careful because you can get all kinds of junky stuff too. So I would say research quality people and quality sites. But when you wonder about anything biblically, find some good quality, high, you know, integrity sites and find out about some information. So I always wondered, it just seems like you ought to come riding in on a mighty steed. But if you do the history and search it out, this was a common practice in the Near East in those days that if you had conquered, invaded, and conquered a land, and the people did not want you to be their king, they did not respect you, they were angry at you about that, then you came riding in on a mighty war horse. You showed those people, I am the strong and mighty victorious king. I have military might behind me, and so y'all just need to submit. But when you went to your hometown where you were loved. If you were a loved king who loved your people and you were benevolent, you would, in your own hometown, you would ride a donkey. And it was a sign to the people, I am a benevolent king. I love you. I'm not trying to force you into subservience. We're all on the same page here. I am a benevolent, kind king. Jesus comes in, not telling the people, he's not on a war horse telling the people, you all will be beat into submission. There's nothing in Jesus' message that beats people into submission. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come. And you'll find rest. He's not going to make you. He told the rich young ruler, here's something that you need to do. And the rich young ruler said, I can't do it or won't do it. And he walked away. And Jesus didn't force him or demand anything. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus loved him. So Jesus is showing the people, I'm humble. I'm lowly. i I'm beloved. I'm a benevolent king as he comes riding in. But when I look at this, the Lord begins to tinker with my heart and maybe yours as you look through the scripture. And he always wants to do that. And always avail yourself to that, to letting the Lord mess with your life because the only reason he wants to mess with things in your life is so that he can bless you. He's not trying to make a mess. He's trying to fix things. And so I look at this story and I think, a couple areas of growth. And maybe you could use some growth in these areas, too. First of all, I look at the courageous obedience of those disciples. I think it's an awkward thing to go just untie a colt that you don't know whose it is and what's going on and what might happen. But they're courageous. Now, we think about people with courage is that they're never afraid. You've probably heard this many, many times just watching a TV show or they... They, you know, interview a hero, and they say, you're so courageous, and you were never afraid. And they almost always say, oh, I was absolutely afraid. I just went ahead and did what was right through my fear. And so you may feel afraid, but God calls us to be courageous. And you think, well, all God's people, though, in the Bible were all courageous. No, they weren't. In Acts chapter 4, they've been threatened, and they say, Lord, give us courage that we might proclaim your word. I want you to know, you do not ask for something you have. They were saying, we're struggling with courage. The great apostle Paul is in prison, and he says, pray for me that I may courageously proclaim the gospel as I should. Why is he asking for courage? Because he's lacking it. But he just keeps pressing forward. So it's a good prayer to say, like the disciples in Acts chapter 4, give us courage. So I like their courage. I like their obedience. I also like the generosity of the donkey owners. They say, here, take it. Now, I find generosity easier for me than courage. Now, I know everybody thinks pastors are courageous. Uh, We're not. We're just people like you are. Some of you are much more courageous than I am. I have talked myself out of sharing the gospel or doing things because I lacked courage at times. And oftentimes I've won too, but there can be that struggle there. And so we must always be praying, Lord, you can tinker with my courage. Help me with my courage. Bless me to have more courage. Bless me to have more obedience. I want to obey. I want to be courageous. Now, generosity is easier for me, uh, but I do want to say this. We can always grow in all these areas. See, as Darlene and I have always practiced being generous and generous wanting to grow in that, we do not believe we're the poster child for that. So we still are asking, Lord, help us. Help us, help us to grow in all these areas. So, if you need some tinkering in your life about courage or obedience or generosity, then join the club. We need to pray and ask for God to go ahead and mess with things in our lives because he has a positive outcome for us. Now, let's pick up again on the story. In Luke 19, 37 and 38, when he, Jesus, came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in what? What? Loud voices. Now we're, we're you weren't afraid, and you're not afraid to be loud, sing loud, and do all that. But there are a lot of churches that think anything loud is disrespectful. And uh, but all through the Bible, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. You know, loud voices, loud praise, loud singing. There's loud praise going on here. Loud voices. They were praising God for all the miracles they'd seen, and they were said, "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest." Guess what? Zechariah 9-9 has been fulfilled. He's come in lowly on the donkey. The people have praised. They've been loud. They've rejoiced. They've shouted. And Zechariah 9-9 is fulfilled. But Jesus needs a donkey. Now, the only thing that's a little scary about this is we're kind of the donkey in the story. And I know that's not generally how you like to be, you know, thought of. But I think about this donkey as being used for noble purposes. But the donkey, after he's used for noble purposes, is going to go back to his daily, everyday life. Whatever that is. I don't know if it's pulling a wagon or, you know, carrying someone or pulling a a heavy load or a burden or whatever. And I think about our lives. Do you realize that most of our lives we're just using for ourselves all the time? And God doesn't seem to be opposed to that. And I want to give you the Christian perspective. We're to live our lives unto the Lord, whatever it is we're doing. You cleaning the house changing the oil in the car, mowing the grass, grocery shopping, going to work, going to school, whatever. We're to do that as unto the Lord. We're supposed to, so our lives should be spiritual. We should be, it's a spiritual thing, whatever we do, when we dedicate it to the Lord, whether it was what you all did Saturday when you're sweeping a floor, you do that as unto the Lord. It's a spiritual thing. But every now and then, God will pull us out and use us for something a little more noble or spectacular, at least in our minds. And he will do, just like that donkey, he gets untied, he gets to carry King Jesus. He gets to carry King Jesus. You and I are carriers of King Jesus. Hallelujah. We are carriers of the Savior. We are carriers of the Master. And we want people to see Jesus. Now sometimes people are happy to see Jesus Then they get excited and they rejoice and say, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. But if we would have read the rest of the story, we would have found there were some that weren't so happy. The Pharisees looked at Jesus and said, tell your disciples to be quiet. Tell them to shut up. He said, I'm not going to tell them that. And even if I did, the rocks would cry out and give praise. Also, as you begin to read the story, you will find out in other parts of the Bible that there was a massive crowd that had gathered. The the Pharisees got so frustrated. They said, look how the whole world has gone after him. Well, you don't say that when there's 12 people there or 20 or 100. There has to be a pretty big crowd to actually say something like that. Look how the whole world has gone after him. But there was a great crowd here worshiping the Lord. So I believe we're to be used like that by Jesus. And there are times where we have this moment, that's kind of glorious, and then it feels like we just go back to everyday life. Well, that's okay. Don't, Don't begrudge everyday life. We're still doing it as unto the Lord. But there's those moments where we get to, like, really be a carrier of Jesus for people to see. Now, this is speculation. This is not in the Bible. You won't find this in any history lesson. This is just my speculation. I speculate that these owners never sold that donkey. I kind of picture that they were friendly to Jesus and his lordship because when they said the Lord needs it, they said, take take the donkey. And I could just see, because they're just normal people like us, people probably come over to the house to visit and say, oh, have we ever told you that our donkey carried Jesus? Yeah, like 500 times. Okay, I just want to make sure you knew that. They get a small group, and they want invite some new people to our small group. Why? Because they're dying to tell them, Jesus rode our donkey. And so they come. Hey, here's a new couple. Did we ever tell you that Jesus rode our donkey? No, we didn't know that. Well, let us tell you about it. Would you like to go see our donkey? It's in the backyard. Now, here's again, this is just me picturing this. So they take this new people out. But they haven't seen the donkey that carried Jesus. I picture a fat, lazy donkey living the high life. You know, he's not, he's not carrying bricks anymore. He's, got, he's, he's on a hammock. He's got sunglasses on. He's eating carrots and apples, sipping on some sweet tea. It's a good life. And he's getting petted and cared for and everything because who's going to get rid of the donkey that carried Jesus? We want to be people who carry Jesus. Carriers of Jesus, where we just pray Jesus through the ordinary everyday streets of life, the ordinary job, the ordinary neighborhood, the ordinary school, wherever it is, we're carriers of Jesus. And like I say, some people recognize him, some people don't. Even if they do recognize him, they may not want him. Some people want to reject him. That's okay. That's their choice. Our job's just to be good carriers of Jesus. And so, I always challenge us, let's let Jesus, tinker with our lives today. Let's let him tap on our gauges, make sure they're working, fiddle with some wiring, you know, check out the motors, do whatever he needs to do so that we can reflect him more attractively. We want to reflect Jesus more attractively to a hurting and broken and dying world. And how we reflect Jesus, believe it or not, is amazingly, enormously huge in people coming to know him as their savior. I want to tell you the story of an atheist. A.N. Wilson is his name. A.N. Wilson, a young man, brilliant, great uh, philosopher, a great mind, and he was a Christian in his early years. And people looked at him and thought, oh, my goodness, this guy, A.N. Wilson, is probably going to be the next C.S. Lewis. Now, if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, he wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Mere Christianity, and dozens and dozens of other things, and was an incredible uh, Christian writer and could convince people logically and rationally why Jesus was who he said he was. So everybody's all excited about A.N. Wilson becoming the next C.S. Lewis. But as A.N. Wilson begins to get older, he begins to wonder about the credibility of the Easter story. Then pretty soon he gets into his 30s, and he actually rejects Christianity completely. He rejects Christianity, he's a prolific writer, he's in papers and magazines, he's writing about Jesus. He actually wrote a book in like 2004, or 2006, called Jesus, and the, th- the thrust of the story is this, Jesus was a failure. He was a failed messianic prophet. So here's the guy who is supposed to replace C.S. Lewis, and he's talking against Jesus writing books against Jesus. And not only he, he got so uh, angst up about Jesus, but also about any religion who would acknowledge God in any way. But then one day, on a Palm Sunday, when I got the story, I never found the details why he's in church on Palm Sunday. Maybe a loved one, maybe a friend, maybe a family member said go to church. He probably thought, I'll go for the, the fellowship. But he goes to church... And all of a sudden, he hears the gospel proclaimed. He says, heart just opened up to the gospel. His heart just opened up to Jesus. Yes. And he said, No one was more surprised about that than me. And before Easter came around, he wrote a, a paper for a prestigious London, an article in the, a prestigious London newspaper about his return to faith. And he said, It was just amazing. And he said, The biggest factor that always nagged at him, drawing him back to Christianity, guess what? Was other believers. He said, not the famous, not the disciples in the Bible, not the stars, not the early church fathers, not the ones who had written volumes of books, but ordinary everyday friends and family who he watched their lives and they lived in this great beauty of the resurrection story. They lived in this great expectation of a wonderful life here and in the life to come. They lived and died with the fact that Jesus has risen, and that's changed everything in me. And so it changed him as well. And then after he started thinking about it, he said he was a material atheist, which believes that we're just a composite of goo and chemicals and stuff. But the more he thought about it, he said, But that doesn't explain. Now, this was his words. If we are just animated pieces of meat, how do you explain poetry? How do you explain love? How do you explain heroism? How do you explain all those things in life? And so he, full gear, back in love with Jesus. But I want you to remember one of the biggest things that happened was watching and observing the lives of everyday friends and family and how they lived in the expectation and in the glory and in the life of the resurrected Jesus and how he changes us. Mm. There's a simple phrase that the Lord uses. It's a powerful phrase, and it's soul-searching, I want us to let it search our souls a little bit today. The phrase is, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. What in your life? What in my life? What, What service, what provision, what commitment, what use of your time, your talent, your treasures... What is it that God is saying, hey, I need that. I need that. Now we say, well, God doesn't need anything. And I guess technically he doesn't. I mean, God could have miraculously made a donkey appear for Jesus. But God's got this system that's really interesting. He uses people. I don't want you to miss that. It was a tremendous revelation to me many years ago when I realized that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, has encountered Saul, who's a Christian hater, he tells him that he can go to see a guy named Ananias and he will tell you the wonderful words of life. I'm thinking, in my mind, why wouldn't you tell him? Who would be the best person to lead somebody to Jesus than the resurrected Jesus? But guess what? Jesus has delegated authority to us. We are the church, the body of Christ, who fills everything in every way. And so he uses people. And so he uses us. So what is it that God is saying, I need this, I need this? You probably have an idea of what it is. What is the Lord saying, I want you to pick this up, I want you to start this, I want you to stop that. I want you to give this, I want you to dedicate that, I want you to commit to that. I want you to invest in ministry in some area of your time, your talent, your your giftings. And if you say, I don't have any idea what that would be, I have a dangerous prayer for you. Ask him. Ask him. How would you want to use me? One day, a gal named Carol Van Heys, used to be our treasurer many years ago, uh, you know, I was talking, God wants to use all of us. Every one, every one of us should be used in ministry in some, some respect. Now, it doesn't have to be here, but it ought to be somewhere. But we most certainly could use ministry here as well. And so Carol thought, you know what? because she'd heard me say, just try some things. You'll find out real quick whether it's for you or not. So she'd gone through several things, and so she said, well, I'll try like these three- and four-year-olds or two- and three-year-olds, and she knew I will hate that. But she was going through a checklist. She began to minister to the two- and three-year-olds, and she came back to me and said, if you would have told me, I would have loved that. If you would have told me, I will enjoy that. If you would have told me I would look forward to my service days with the two and three year olds, I would have told you you are crazy and that would never happen. But she was just crazy enough just to try some stuff. And she found an area of ministry that she was in for several years in the church volunteering that brought her great joy and brought the others great joy because she has dared to be courageous enough to try something. What is it? Ask God, I believe he'll speak to you. The goal of Jesus' tinkering is to take a life that's lost power or has dimmed, where the lights have gone out, or at least they're not as bright. This assembly line is halting. Production and profits have stopped. Jesus wants to get you back fired up. He wants to get those generators turning again. He wants to renew that fire and that joy in your heart again. He wants to get things producing in your life because that's the heart of Jesus. On Palm Sunday, as we're moving towards the final days of Jesus' life on earth, where he dies so we can live, where he is raised up so we can be raised up, Jesus is wanting to minister to us. I want to say this is kind of a big spiritual sounding word, so don't let it scare you off, but I believe Jesus has a prophetic vision for your life. That does not mean you're going to have a global, international ministry. You notice how we think... I mean, Jesus having a prophetic vision for your life has to be something huge. It does not. Because anything you do for Jesus is huge. Anything you do for Jesus is huge. So whatever it is. But he has a, a prophetic vision for your life. But I want to tell you something else. Jesus has come not to condemn, the Bible says, but to save. Jesus has come to bring joy and bring peace and bring hope, not despair. And in that prophetic vision, he wants to create a life that is abundant. I'm going to let you know something else. The devil has a prophetic vision for your life. Jesus tells us what the devil's vision is in John 10.10. He desires to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's his vision for you. That's what he wants to see happen in your life. But that's not Jesus's, Because right after Jesus says those words, he said, but I have come. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure. Have it overflowing. Have it abundant. Jesus' vision for your life is abundant living. It's abundant life. Jesus gave his life so we could have life. Jesus wants to shut down the devil's vision. The devil had a vision for Peter. Remember that? Jesus came and said, Peter, Satan has desire. He has a vision for you. He wants to sift you as wheat. Again, I, this is just me. Here was Jesus' reply, but I have prayed for you. I would go, awesome. I have prayed that your faith will not fail. I would say, why don't you pray that the devil not try anything? That would be what I would ask. But, but Jesus has a way of tinkering with us, a way of using us so that we can grow and be strong. He said, but I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. Amen. It won't fail. All of us want Jesus' vision for our life, I think, to come to pass. Now, just for the record, doesn't mean you're going to go off overseas to the mission field. Doesn't mean you are become a pastor or an evangelist because we just think that's what ministry is. I'm telling you, I, I, I tell this to people all the time. What I'm doing right now is a sliver of the ministry that goes on around the world. When we go out there into the world, that's where ministry happens. 99.9% of the ministry is not done by pastors and evangelists and teachers and all that. It's done by we the people. We the people, the church, the body of Christ, who fills everything in every way. So anything Jesus asks of you, I want you to know it's moving you towards a goal, and that goal is life an abundant life, overflowing life, a blessed life. I know we live in a broken world. I'm not trying to sell something that's not realistic, but I'm telling you, Jesus came to overcome the world in us. And so I just want to encourage us today as we get ready to wrap up, let's just allow God to do some tinkering. Let's just open up our ears to hear. Jesus would often say, anyone who has ears, let him hear. Well, he obviously wasn't talking about physical ears because I'd say about everyone he was talking to had physical ears. But he's talking about spiritual ear, hearing ear from the Lord. And so I want us to pray and I want you to be asking God, Lord, if there's an area you need to tinker in my life, I give you full permission to do so. And if I don't know what it is, speak to me because I want to grow and be everything you've called me to be. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you thank you so much that you didn't leave us stuck you didn't leave us at the hands of an unhealthy evil warlord like the devil but you came and you crushed him and you made a show and shame of him openly and you produced victory for our lives and for the world and for anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord And so today we are saying, Lord, we give you permission to adjust some things, to recalibrate some things, to give us some new insights, some fresh insight, and to give us new strength to do what we're not doing that we should be doing and give us strength to stop doing what we shouldn't be doing. Help us, Lord God. And we believe we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in those areas. Now, as we keep an attitude of prayer... I just want to ask is there anybody here today who would say tracy i'm not a christian i want to know jesus as my savior now you could be a person who's been in the church a thousand times and don't know jesus as your savior you could be a person it's the first time you've been in church that's okay is there anyone here with uplifted hand would say i don't know jesus as my savior but i want to know him would you raise your hand up high quickly if you don't know the lord but you want to know him anybody in that situation We won't pause here long, so if you feel a tug or a draw, if you feel God's tinkering on something in your life, and maybe it's to know him, raise that hand up high. Is there anybody here who would say, Tracy, I'm confident I'm a Christian, but I just want to make a fresh commitment to Jesus today. It's a new start for me, a new beginning. Would you raise that hand up high if it's a new start for you, a new beginning? Anyone at all in that situation who would say, hey, say a prayer for me as you close. It's a new start, a new day. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We bless you. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the season that we're moving into as we will come back and celebrate that that grave, that tomb is empty. He is not here. He is risen. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Lord, we thank you that your life is in us. And we just ask all week this week, we ask Holy Spirit, help us to amp up our our desire to celebrate you joyfully as your people do in scripture as we gather next week to celebrate the resurrection. Lord, we bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.